and welcome to Onion Unlimited, the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridon, broadcasting from Rotherham near Sheffield in the United Kingdom, joined by my friend, Chris, from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, I believe. You got it, yes. Well, it's very hot today, uh, 90 degrees, all of the grass in the front yard is dying day, day, day by day. Um, but apart from that, I can't complain, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a privilege to have you back on again. I was just saying that uh, even though we've not known each other for very long, there's kind of a bit of a connection between us, isn't there? Even though we're sort of the other side of the world, a lot of the uh, a lot of the sort of things that you spend your time wondering about, so do I. So that's good. Yeah, it's, it's, been, um, it's been raining the past few days, and uh, I've been wondering, I, I just wonder what you think about this one, just as a bit of an icebreaker. When I hear the sound of rain through my window here, I uh, I feel very spiritual, and I'm trying to think why is that. Hmm. Hmm. I have two two things coming to my mind, Daniel. Go on. First one is um, an experience that I used to have um, years ago uh, <laughs> before I had any kids. I lived um, in a community that was near downtown. This really charming community. And uh, a lot of trees, a lot of tree cover. And I would go out whenever it would rain. I would go out onto the patio. I would sit down on the um, uh, swing and I would listen to the rain. <laughs> and sometimes if um, if I had ingested certain substances, it would be the one of the most. Oh, uh, what word to use? I want to say meditative, but it was more of a, it, it puts you in a trance. It's almost like. Um, I remember vividly hearing the rain that was falling on the roof uh, right over my head. Mm-hmm. I could I could hear a different sound as it filtered through the trees. I could hear a different sound bouncing off the street and in the distance. And all yep. of those sounds come together to sort of wash wash away your sense of consciousness. Wash away your sense of being there. You become the rain. You become the sound of the rain. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of static. It reminds me of white noise. It reminds me yes. of things of things that are simultaneously nothing and everything. Yes. I think I think I got it down to that. I was looking at what the um, hertz frequency is of rain, and at first I was finding all kinds of different answers to the question, and then I realised it's because it is white noise. And white noise, like white light, apparently carries all of the frequencies. So that's good, isn't it? Yeah. So it carries all the high frequencies, low frequencies, everything in between. And like what happens with white noise is your mind tends to gravitate towards it. Um, You can still hear other things if you sort of force your mind to do it. But naturally, your mind will just concentrate on the white noise, which is partly why they've started doing... Um, do you have white noise ambulance sirens in um, Cleveland? I have never heard of such a thing. Please explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like the old, uh, old-fashioned old uh, ambulances, you know, they sort of go... Nee, nor, nee, nor, nee, nor, yes, nor, yes, yes. Past. The old Doppler effect. Yes. Um... Yeah, they've started testing some ambulances uh, in the UK with white noise generators. Mm. So you just hear this kind of... And it's like, what the hell is that? (laughs) 
That's interesting. And that captures your attention better than a yeah. standard siren. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, your, mind, your mind goes straight to that. And I, th- yeah. I think it's something like that with rain. I think your mind goes to it and it's all these different frequencies and it's kind of triggering something in the the state of flow in the brain. I think it's that. But yeah, I feel very, very relaxed and spiritual and connected when it's raining. I just, I love it. Yeah, there's something about it. Um, the only thing better than listening to the rain is being in the forest, you know, being in the woods. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. see the see the light breaking through the through the tree limbs. And uh, there's just something out of body, like an out of body experience yeah. about that. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. Any, anything around nature or um, water, particularly. A friend of mine sent me a link today about um, trees. I was talking to him about, well, he was asking me about some of our conversations we had on um, the Two Tongues podcast that that you present about consciousness and sort of inhabiting a body consciously and that sort of thing. And uh, we got chatting about trees, whether or not things like trees have uh, consciousness. And he sent me a link about scientists have discovered what they're calling the wood wide web. (laughs) <laughs> is that the mycelial network? Hmm. Yes. I think that's the word. Yeah. Is that to do with roots? It's yes. Yeah, to do with um, a, a system of roots that are, that mm. well, they're mushrooms, but they connect all of the wild, all of the um, ah. vegetation in the, for, in the forest. Okay. Yeah. And, if, and a, it, if a particular tree is like under attack from something, it can sort of send a signal to another tree. And if yeah. the tree is about to die, it can release all its nutrients into the ground prior to dying, so the other trees get the benefit of it. I didn't hear that last part, but I did hear there's a guy named Paul Stamets who's a hmm. mushroom scientist. He's been on the Joe Rogan podcast a few times, so uh-huh. people can find him there. But he talked about that, and he one of the things he said is that if if a if a bug is eating a, a tree, the trees that are nearby will get the signal that that's happening. That's it. Yeah, and they'll and they'll produce stuff that makes the leaves bitter. As a consequence, another thing that they'll do is share nutrients. So if one tree mm. is is deficient, the rest of the ecosystem will send it to the tree somehow. I don't know. It's probably not quite like that, really. But that's how it was explained. Unbelievable. That's it. Yeah. As the from what I can understand, if a tree is kind of in decline or about to die. It basically sort of offloads all the uh, good bits so the other trees can tap into it. I mean, if that isn't a... I don't know if you call that consciousness on a on a level of... Well, obviously a level of humanity, but it strikes me that there's various degrees of consciousness. If you were, if you, were you in a tree, you might not have as vivid an experience as you do as a human... But I, I do tend to think there's some kind of awareness there of what's going on. I mean, Hindus will take it one step further, won't they, and say that even things like rocks. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm of the opinion that that rocks are conscious. I, I think we, I mean, we can go into a rabbit hole, but I don't think it has to do with um, the level. Well, not at the level of the rock, but at the level of maybe the atoms, you know, because there's activity going on. And so I think whenever there's activity going on, there's a good chance that there's experience happening. Okay. Now, I don't know what that experience might be, but I would agree that there's experience happening. 
So is this the is this the idea that it's not just your brain that is where consciousness happens, but it could actually happen throughout the entire entire body? Every cell of your body could effectively be contributing to your experience of consciousness. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Um, I've been I've been getting into a gentleman named Bernardo Kastrup, who I think I mentioned to you and you mentioned to me actually uh, once before. And he's, he goes a step further than that because he's an idealist. And so he's one of these people that believes that the material world is mental. And it's hard to wrap your mind around that, for lack of a better word, because there's nothing attached to the mentality. It just It's just what is. And that's it. And we're and we're we're a part of that. The tree is a part of that. The rock is a part of that. Um, and so mentality is all that there is. Everything else is happening as a semi-illusory sort of thing within that mentality. So it's a yep. it's a it's a hippy dippy rabbit hole. But I've been really enjoying it. I love rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> rabbit holes and whole substance of podcasts. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So this this idea, um, let me just run an idea by you, which I've been <clears throat> been thinking about this last week. We've discussed uh, quite a few times that there's this kind of underlying source from which everything arises. So if you were if you were a Hindu, for example, you would call it uh, Brahman. Or another expression I've heard in the uh, Ashtavakra Gita is uh, the infinite deep from mm. whom all the worlds arise. So this idea of reality kind of arising from this source, almost like an ocean or a pool. And it makes the statement in that Gita, I think it's chapter seven, that the infinite deep is beyond all form. And then it, it says forever still. So am I. That's interesting. That strikes me that source doesn't actually change. It's just kind of aware of every possibility. Not even aware of every possibility, but actually is every mm. possibility. Yes. That could be. So there's no kind of working through step by step the way that we do consciously. It's just kind of a dump of probability. Hmm possibly some sort of awareness of what is there but certainly not kind of a temporal thought process and certainly not a process of making decisions I don't know what uh, what that triggers in you when I well it reminds me of where we started <clears throat> it reminds me of white noise and white light like we were talking about at the beginning Something like the matrix of being, which is something that I would yep. use to describe that. Um, or I like to call it potentiality. And I, like, I prefer that to Very probability um, because to me, probability has a, um, it means a likelihood of an, of an occurrence where potentiality is, it's not, it's not like, hmm. I'm not exactly sure how to explain the difference, but it seems to me that potentiality is better than probability. For, I, for, I think for I know life. where you're going with that. Let me see if I can get this. So probability seems to imply a list of options that are equally likely. You know, if you flip a coin, it's equally likely it can be heads or tails, one or the other. I guess what 
pops in my head is all all potential all at once, all things all at once, very much like the white noise and white light idea that we brought up before. Mm. Um, because no, notions like space and time fall away when you're talking about the matrix of being, when you're talking about something that underlies everything and might in fact be the sum total of all that there is. So I think it's everything all at once. Um, and, and, and I think that accords very well with the Vedic um, idea of Brahma, the biblical idea of the deep, which uh, the abyss, the deep, which is which corresponds to, you know, even the same language that you used from the from the Gita. So that that comes to mind. And I've sufficiently lost my thread. <laughs> if there was something else that I was going to add to that. No, you're just saying about the uh, difference. But I, th- I think probability, I'm saying probability, you're saying potentiality. Mm. I think we're on the same page. I think we're probably just using different words. I think so. You know, you know when, when physicists use yeah. the word probability, they're they're referring to some some sort of mathematics, and hmm. I think that there's math, math is an interesting thing because it's something that we learn, something that we intuit a priori before experience. Numbers are something that is a fact outside of experience, and that's mystical. Yes. And so I like yes. to. I don't want to throw that out. I think that's good. But I just think that probability is is sort of uh, a math it involves like a mathematical description, and potentiality to me goes a step above that. It's broader. It's as broad as possible. It's it's not the the possibility of an occurrence. It's every occurrence and every possible occurrence, every potential p- potential all at once. Something like that. That's good, actually. So, I mean, I, I've thought about that whether mathematics and say the definition of a good or evil action, whether they're on a similar level, are are they kind of a universal truth that exists, even if there was no source? Would one and one still equal two? Would this still be bad? Would that still be good? And I think I've kind of come down on the side that things like good and evil, I think you made a point the other day in one of your podcasts that good and evil are choices that we make. We decide what's good when we make a choice, even if it's bad. We're effectively choosing. It's not intrinsically good or intrinsically bad. Yes. But I think the mathematical principle, one and one, if you've got one and one, it's always going to be that, whatever you call it. <laughs> That plus that is that. It's funny. It's funny because where you were talking about numbers and you just use Mm -hmm. fingers, and both of those are representations. Exactly. They both both have the same. They both have the same meaning. But it seems to me that it seems to me that if we're looking at this from the the perspective of God and not from the perspective of a mortal of a mortal man, I wonder if. One plus one equals two because there isn't. There's only one, right? As as yes. a concept, as a concept, there's only one. And if there's only one, there can't be another one. And so there can't logically be two. That's right. Right at the level, at that, the level, that, of God, level but, that level of where it all blends into one. That's what I'm referring to. Not so much as God, because I want to take you down another route in a minute. But um, that's what I'm referring to as source. I think within source, it's completely possible that one plus one is four. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that, that might be, that might go against all sort of known physics. Right. But within that sort of source matrix, 
could two completely opposing truths be equally true? Mm. You know, we, we, we seem to like collapse our reality, for want of a better word, into what we know as truth. You know, this happens, that happens. Everything seems very set doesn't it but when you when you start sort of rolling it back a bit and start getting into quantum physics that all goes out the way out the window i was trying i was just explaining to uh mariella the other day that um mariella's my girlfriend hello love you hello mariella <laughs> um I was just uh, talking the other day about you know how electrons and and what have you within the atoms can kind of disappear and then reappear there's no there's no certainty of where it's going to be at any given time right that that tends to apply on a quantum level but when you start upping it to classical physics if that's what we were dealing with things would just be disappearing all the time right <laughs> so we we get used to the fact that if you roll a tennis ball off a table it will hit the ground and 99. Nine zillion times out of whatever comes after a zillion, it will it will hit the ground. But there is still a probability at some point that all of the electrons within that object could do their quantum thing at once. And right. if they did, it wouldn't hit the ground. Right. You'd roll it off, and it would either disappear or reappear somewhere across the other side of the room. And that's that kind of that's that sort of weird science you get into once you start thinking quantumly, isn't it? It's exactly right. You you get down to the to the nitty gritty. You get down to the most fundamental parts of physics that we have the vaguest understanding of, and what you end up with is not empirical certainty. What you no. end up with is not scientific fact. What you end up with is more mystery. What you end up with is a religious question, and I think that's fascinating. Absolutely. Well, it blows my mind and it's, um, I mean, I, I sort of got a basic grasp of some of these things, but, it, and I read a lot of, uh, quantum physics and what have you, but when I'm, when I'm reading some of the stuff, my brain is just, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I sort of think I get it. And then it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I want to take you down a little thought of, um, so we've got this like sort of underlying source from which everything comes. I suppose from that we would say that's kind of the creative force behind right. the universe. But I've had this little thought this week and it it came from the idea that we as humans are actually minds inhabiting a body, spirit in something intangible inhabiting a body. And then I got thinking along the lines that if that is the case, then those spirits may possibly be eternal. Mm. What would we call that? Angels? Some people would say gods. I think there's a scripture in um, Psalm 82, verse 6 in the Bible that says, ye are gods, which got me thinking. And then I rolled it back a little bit further. If there is a kind of intermediate position between, so you've got source and then you've got humans that appear to be spirits having a human existence. Whether or not the in-between stage, which we would call angels, demons, gods, whether that is actually where the God of the Bible actually resides. We kind of give God the source properties, don't we? 
you know, that God is eternal. And But I just wonder whether God, particularly the Yahweh God of the mm. Jewish Old Testament, whether that Yahweh God was just, and I mean this in, in the most respectful way, just another Elohim, just another angel, just mm. another God like we were. And so maybe he was the first one, maybe he was the first mind to kind of arise from source. But my point being, if you go back as far as God, people often say we can't go back any further. But what if you can? What if God isn't what if God isn't the furthest back? That's what if God what if God arose from this this divine what did you call it? Matrix. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. Because the Bible starts with a with a um, supposition, doesn't it? And it doesn't really explain it. It says, in the beginning, God. Right. It doesn't say where God came from. You just have to accept that bit <laughs> and then move into, and God did this, that, and the other in Genesis chapter 1. So, I could go so many different directions on this one, Daniel. I, I Please do. I want to hear what you... Okay, I want to start with this. I'm going to preempt this by saying... If I had to describe myself yeah. as a as a religious thinker, I would say mm-hmm. that I'm a, I'm a radical monotheist. I believe God is one, and mm-hmm. I believe that for intellectual reasons, but also for intuitive reasons. By that, I mean I, I had uh, religious experiences, uh, mystical experiences that told me that, and so I can't doubt right. it anymore, even no. though the evidence I have for that is ethereal it's it's a psychedelic experience it's not anything that i can point to scientifically I, but i guess what i mean is i believe god is one and so if the actions of god um, are diverse and the expressions of god are diverse that they are ultimately one thing anyway now i can't rule out the idea that god could take the form of something like a supernatural being because daniel and 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 me you know, talking right now are supernatural beings as far as I'm concerned. Yes. We are we are creatures that were created from nothing through a process of evolution that nobody understands. Yep. Um, that took billions of years and uh, is full of mysteries. And we're living proof of that. So can I say that angels, demons, um, gods with a lowercase g, you know, have some existence? I can't rule that out. No. Um, so what comes to my mind from the study of religion, I've always enjoyed studying religion, is that there are religions that talk about exactly what you just said, that God is so unknown to us that we point to a lesser God and say, there he is, or there it is, and we're wrong. We've been wrong mm-hmm. this whole this whole time. The word that comes up is the, is the and I'm probably going to mispronounce this because I've only ever seen it in writing, is the demiurge or the demiurge. Um, yes, yes. However you, however you pronounce it. So yep. even, even Christians in the early days, these Gnostic Christians from the first century, believed that, that the Jews were worshiping Yahweh and that he was a false god. And some of them go as, as far as to say that Yahweh and Lucifer are the same. That it's not just that the that the ancient Hebrews were worshiping a false god; it's that they're worshiping the pretender. They're worshiping the person who has convinced them that he's God, um, and he's the adversary. He's the there pretender. Yeah, yeah. See, I don't. Uh, I, I was always taught that Jehovah Yahweh was the Most High, the highest you could get, and I'm starting to think more along those lines that you know there is a God. 
I won't use the word God, I'll use the word source, but it's the highest you can go or the lowest you can go if you want to think about it as this sort of ocean that's bubbling up all probability, including minds and bodies and everything else. But the the Yahweh, the Jehovah that is presented in the Old Testament and certainly the Yahweh I grew up on as a Jehovah's Witness is God and I'm not sure he is. I'm not sure he is. One thing that gives it away a little bit is when Jesus came on the scene, the Jehovah's Witnesses, particularly, they, they used the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, the first few verses of the Lord's Prayer says, let your name be sanctified or um, hallowed be thy name in the King James. And they say, look, there you go. Jesus used the name Jehovah. But I don't think he did. I've not found any verses in the New Testament where Jesus says, Dear Jehovah God, when he prays. He always mm. calls him Father. Mm. And Father seems to indicate less of a God and more of a creative force. It also indicates the, it also indicates the source, right? Father is the source, just like source. mother is the source. Mm. Yeah. So I want to I'm going to try to read you something, Daniel. Uh, I'm going to pull up a word document, and hopefully it doesn't mess anything up. But I was just reading Bernardo Castro. I was listening to actually a documentary that, that he was a podcast interview yep. that he was doing. He described having a psychedelic experience himself that was yep. that was very religious in nature, and he described seeing being the God behind God, exactly like you and oh, I are talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if I read it, this God to you, behind you God. Will, I love that. That is probably smiles. That is absolutely awesome. The God behind God. And I think that's it. I almost feel that's, like the God that a lot of people are worshiping is this sort of uh, almost like a uh, an imposter. <laughs> mm. So what did this? What did this fella uh, say? Okay, let me see. He says, if you, boy, hold on. All right, here we go. He says, I had trips that I could, that I could describe as equally cathartic and hellish. The difference between pleasure and pain disappears in those experiences. He says, I had this experience once. I went really deep in. And after you pass ego dissolution, after you pass the fantastic visual hallucinations, and the aliens and the parallel universe and all of that. And then you pass the void and you keep going. There is something at the base of the fountain. There is something at the very root of minds at the very root of existence. Wow. What do you think of that? That's a trip. That's a trip back through everything back to the matrix that's what that is beyond the void that, now that's beyond the, the void mm. yeah that's 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 where we start in the bible with the deep he says no no you go before the void and you find the root of the fountain of mind I was like, oh my God. fantastic that is that is awesome what was the name of that book let me just make a note uh, that that gentleman is named Bernardo Castro, and it came from a podcast. Um, let me find it. He does have a website and um, has published many books, but the podcast is it's called Mind and Matter, uh, Episode 60, Mind and Matter with Nick Jacomas. 
That's going to be a uh, listen, I think. Absolutely. While we're just while we're just on podcasts, mm-hmm. how did you get into doing your podcast? Is it just that you always like talking about this stuff, or? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, D- Daniel. It is. It is that I've always liked talking about this stuff. I always felt mm. like I had something to contribute to the conversation. And I was going to school um, when I was a younger man, thinking that I was going to be, I was going to study religion and um, maybe become a professor. And I didn't. So I didn't have an outlet for it. And I don't think this is going to surprise you, but nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody cares and nobody yep. wants to hear it. So. That's one of the reasons that's one of the reasons at the beginning of this when you said you and I met and it was serendipitous where we felt like we were looking at, like looking a little bit into a an, into an intellectual mirror you know like a you know this guy's on the same page as me because I have found very very few people who even come anywhere close to that yep. so you're a special yeah, very um, very similar actually with me in that I used to have a framework where I could talk about these things teach people discuss you know I, I was in a particular religion two or three meetings a week and I used to give talks as well so you know sort of um, in my heyday before I sort of fell from grace I'd be giving like a 45 minute lecture on the subject of whatever science or religion or God or death or the Trinity or and I loved it absolutely loved it and I um, I spent most of my life being a what they call a regular pioneer I used to spend 25 or more hours a week knocking the doors and looking for people to speak to about these things you know that was that's what i did right and then when that went when i lost all that when i was no longer in that sort of bubble (laughs) it's like i'm just talking to myself now (laughs) you know it's 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 maddening to have something to say and nobody to hear Mm. it It, it's soul killing daniel it's soul killing it is and that's how I felt. I, I felt depressed um, for the first time in my life when I when I didn't have an outlet for it. Um, I felt like a failure when I when I changed my course of education for practical reasons. I felt like I gave I gave up on my passion or my purpose. And since then, I've I've felt a little bit redeemed because academia is so messed up today, uh, especially in the United States. It's it's just all politics now and the, the level of education and real, you know, scholarship is just hmm. sadly failing, you know? Yeah. So I, maybe I dodged a bullet. I, um, I mean, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts. How many episodes have you got, by the way? I'm only up to episode 64. You seem to be. <laughs> well, the thing is I've been doing, um, Sunday episodes with my co-host Kyle and I've been doing one during the week that's yeah. just my solo and that daniel that is my catharsis that's my uh, that's where i get to release all of this stuff on those uh, midweek yeah. episodes so i think yeah. the first season we had just under 100 episodes that was the first year and we're in year two and we're i think we're in, in the upper 30s already so wow and it is it is cathartic it's i mean i i approached onion unlimited from the point of view even if nobody listened which surprisingly they do uh, not huge numbers i think you're right with that most people aren't interested in this stuff but the ones that do listen really appreciate it 
So yeah. um, thank you, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, before we change topics, I, I have a couple of things I wanted to share with you on the topic of the God behind God. Yes, please. Let's go with that for a minute. There is a couple of books that were written by a guy named Hesiod. And then there's an ancient Greek fellow. He's not a philosopher, but a uh, mm-hmm. historian. And back in the um, 700s AD, uh, BC, rather, um, he was writing histories that were, well, back then you can imagine they were partly mythological. So it's the history of, well, the Greek race, but also going all the way back to the creation. And one of the right. things one of the things that he says in a book called Works and Days, he says he's going to explain the history of the world. And he says how the gods and mortal men sprang from one source. That goes back oh, to 700 wow. BC. Please, can you can you just yes. copy that line for me and, and uh, tweet that over to me? Yes, sir. I will do that. That, that is... Wow. The gods and men arose from one source. It even uses the word source, Daniel. Source. <laughs> yeah. We, so we must make one. it clear. When we say source, we're not talking about Worcestershire sauce or uh, barbecue sauce. <laughs> I've had no. people say that to me before. I've been talking about sauce. And what are you talking about sauce for? <laughs> Only in the UK. We don't make that mistake here. No. <laughs> I, um, have, you, have you ever had anybody um, I had a someone that follows me on Twitter this week you know nice guy we have some good good chats you know he's written a few books and what have you but he said to me said to me this week you overthink things Daniel you need to stop <laughs> overthinking you ever been accused of that all stop, the time stop wondering <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the time. And I think there's probably some value in heeding that. I think that there, I think people like you and I love escaping into our mind be, yeah. for lots of for lots of reasons. But that's where the mystery is, and that's what we're seeking. Got to be and careful; we, you don't go mad, though. You got to go. Yeah, exactly right. If you spend if you spend too much time inside, you forget that the magic you're looking at inside is also out there. It's all around you, and it's well. It's it, it, I wouldn't have met you, Daniel. And this is this is fantastic. I would have met you if I would have stayed inside. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's it. There's a very definite uh, risk when you're a thinker of sort of getting lost in there somewhere. Absolutely. You need other. You need other people. If you, I think, if you just stick with your own kind of instance of consciousness, it can become a very. It can be entertaining, but it can become a very lonely place. Very. Uh, very quickly can't it absolutely yeah um, he said uh, I really like you Daniel but I think you overthink things please look for simplicity <laughs> mm. so, there you go well yeah I mean there's something to that too I mean um, I think about um, Occam's razor you know I think about these formulas mm. in physics that physicists will say if you have a complicated formula you know you you know you're, you haven't got yep. it because yep. it needs to be simple yeah. It needs to be beautiful, and that will mean, that will mean when you get there that it reflects the simplicity and beauty of nature. I actually feel like a lot of my thinking. People say, "Oh, you're overthinking it, Daniel." Actually, what I'm doing, and this is where my onion unlimited idea came from, is I'm actually peeling away stuff. I'm a- I'm actually losing ideas to mm. find the truth behind it. It's not that yeah. I'm sort of building this 
this kind of religion or faith or truth structure I think it is about sort of demo- it's easier to go with what isn't true and what you're left with probably has some truth to it that's my kind of approach to it if like something it. is so obviously a load of twaddle then out the door <laughs> you know like and, and look at what you're left with what are you left with and I just keep I just keep coming back to this very simple idea of a source that from everything is bubbling up you know yeah. oh I gotta tell you a story um, maybe I did t- stop me if I already told you this my, um, my wife and kids left um, for, for a while and I was sitting uh, kind of in my garage I live very near Lake Erie so I was watching mm-hmm. the lake I was just sitting there watching the lake and uh, it started to rain and I started to watch the water accumulate on the driveway and all the ripples from the raindrops. Hmm. And then and then what I noticed was there were bubbles that would pop up on the surface of the pool and they, they were popping up randomly here and there, not in places where the raindrop hit, but nearby. And I was watching it and I was getting more and more baffled by this. And it, it what happened is I went into this reverie where I felt like what I was seeing was an image that would help me understand source it would help me understand how being emerges from non-being and what and what i was looking at were well let's just call it the fabric of space-time that was the pool of water and every raindrop that hit it was causing these ripples right that's the excitement of the quantum energy of the quantum fields that we talk about and then random here and there i would get these little bubbles that popped up and they they rose off the surface of the water it was almost like they rose into a new dimension into a new place where they could exist and in my mind i thought the pool is god and the bubbles that are popping up based on the excitement of of the body of god is yes being material being you know Mm. i refer to that as the uh, agitation of the quantum field yes and so there is there is a parallel with with quantum field theory right there, but the punchline of the story is as I, literally I took a video of this. I was so impressed. Um, I couldn't understand why these bubbles were popping up like they were. And then my wife gets home, and I was like, "Honey, you're never going to believe this." I was watching this puddle of water on, the, and she looks at me and she says, "The kids spilled bubbles on the driveway earlier today." They spilled liquid, the liquid for bubbles, <laughs> right? So, it, so the bubbles weren't natural. It wasn't part of the rain. It was just the uh, residue <laughs> of soap. All right, so that's uh, my story. Of, it reminds me of yesterday. I dropped a um, a bottle of fairy liquid in my sink, and the lid came off, and it. And I was washing bubbles all day. Did you know? I read. I was reading about rain this week, and. Bigger raindrops contain more air and smaller raindrops contain less air. And it is actually when the actual raindrops hit the ground, what you're hearing is the air popping. That's the sound of the air popping from the bubble, from the, uh, from the raindrops. It's cool, isn't it? That is cool. You know, another thing I think about with rain is that um, every raindrop must be something like the same weight because it needs to be heavy enough Hmm. to to break free of the surface tension to yes. fall. And um, I don't know where I was going with that. I started and lost myself in mid- midway. So <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've touched on source. We've touched on the God behind the God. We've touched on whether Yahweh is actually God, God, or just another God. Can we come 
to a little question I had this week, and then we can perhaps move on to the book of Genesis. As a Jehovah's Witness, we used to kind of have the Genesis account where God creates everything. And in in the book of Job, it talks about the... Let me just read it to you. Job 38, verse 4 and 7. It says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And apparently the the morning stars and the sons of God are both idioms, uh, Hebrew idioms, referring to angels. Mm. So it kind of gives this idea that angels were pre-existent to physicality and that when God, for want of a better word, created the actual physical universe, all the angels were like watching going, well done, (laughs) really good. Yeah. I haven't found anywhere in scripture, maybe you have, I can't find anywhere in scripture where it talks about angels being created like as in, you know, however many billions of years ago, they yeah, just so they just seem to be there from the outset, which is you're, odd. You're right about that. So what comes to my mind is not from the Bible, but from the Quran. So in the in the Quran, it says that the angels were created from fire. Now the story, we it's familiar to a Christian, which is strange, but it, you'll 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 know what I mean when I say it. Um, in the, in the Quran, that says the angels were created from fire and man was created from clay or dirt. So, so what happens, God asks the angels to bow before his greatest creation, man. And the angel says, man was made from dirt. I am made from the substance of God, ethereal fire. I will never bow to man. Now, that's, that's the story that... Uh, that I heard, I'm not, I'm not a Muslim, but I heard that story that, 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 that the devil disobeyed God, right. And was, and was kicked out of heaven for it. Well, we don't, we don't have that story in the Bible. Exactly. We have it in the Quran. So that's very strange. Um, the other thing that comes to my mind is I don't recall anywhere in the, in Genesis about the creation of angels, which makes me wonder if the, the understanding of angels as distinct from God wasn't there when the, when Genesis was written. Well, this, yeah. Now that that's the kind of route I've gone down. I've got this idea that source mind, and I'll use that in the singular to start with mind ero- or consciousness arose from source. And then, I mean, I, I can do this myself. I can hold two completely opposing different opinions in my mind right imagine if you could do that multiple times over effectively you'd be the same consciousness you'd be the same mind but you would be experiencing different kind of slices of reality you'd be making be sort of like a fork coming off from mind so you've got this sort of sub mind and a sub mind and another sub mind and so on and yeah okay maybe the initial mind that came from source and from which all these other minds have sort of almost attained their own ego, maybe that that initial source mind could kind of say, hey, you know, I am the most high over everything and 
you know, you lot, yeah, you are me, but you've got to kind of worship me. And then they're sort of going, no, hang on, we've got our own autonomy here. Mm. Um, and then whether or not those, whether or not those minds then become blended with humans or whether humans themselves are a direct kind of creation from source, I don't know. But I do, I do think what you said earlier, as humans, we're not just flesh. There is, there is a something going on, a mind, whether mm. or not it's pre-existent, as an angel or a god, and then inhabits humans. I mean, that's what Mormonism teaches. Really, mm. Mormonism has a um, well. First of all, Mormonism teaches that Yahweh is not God. God, Yahweh is the angel that became Jesus, as far as I can work out. So Yahweh is Jesus, not I Source. Heard, I have heard that. I, I, I heard that there was certain Christian groups that believe Jesus and the Archangel Michael are the same. And mm-hmm. I can't, yeah, can't remember. Witnesses do. Witnesses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then Mormonism teaches that we all had a pre-existence, that we were children of God in heaven. Mm. And to learn what was good and bad, we were put here on the earth and sort of given this spiritual amnesia so we can't mm. remember our previous lives and then we live good or bad lives and then when we're done we go back to heaven and then god judges us that's mm. kind of the approach of mormonism and then behind the yahweh there is this creative force which i, I, I think i've understood that right if i if i haven't please correct me i've got something i want to add um because i think you're going to find this funny i brought up bernardo castro and i said i told you about that podcast and i hope you do listen um he says something he says something so similar to what you said about this in the beginning that it's sort of blowing my mind you said i can hold two conflicting ideas in my head at the same time and the and the notion there is um it's possible for one consciousness to be something like two consciousnesses yes and Bernardo says exactly this. He says, there's something called dissociation and everybody understands it. Everybody experiences it to some level. He mm-hmm. said, if you get confused and you can't remember something, or if you get confused and you don't know how to act, that moment of confusion is actually a dissociative state in your mind. And, there and you are, have a little conversation, don't you? You do indeed. And there are, there are there are people that have um, multiple personality disorder, which they call exactly. dissociative identity disorder, right? So you can have literally co-consciousnesses existing in one mind. And so Bernardo, yeah. so Bernardo, Bernardo says this, imagine source is mentality. And he doesn't call it consciousness. He calls it mentation. So let's say source is mentality. Yep. And it has the ability to dissociate from itself the same way somebody with multiple personality disorder dissociates from their identity in that way you can get many consciousnesses from one yes. source and he yes. calls them he calls them co-conscious that's yes. exactly what you said that's exactly exactly the idea i'm going down with the idea of whether you want to call them demigods Demi- uh, angels demons whatever i think yeah we and that's why we're not seeing in the bible and God created angels. Yeah, interesting. That is interesting. They, they are. But basically what we're saying is that God's got a multiple personality. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
I've got, um, I don't know if you can see that there. That's the Jehovah's Witness version of Genesis. And then I've got the option to look at the King James and Byington. I think, did you bring, you had Genesis as well there, didn't you? Yes, I just pulled up chapter one uh, here. Yep, here we are. Okay. Can I just kick this off by just looking at verse one there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Something I learned about Genesis is that chapter one of Genesis has only got 76 root words in Hebrew, 76 words. It's a bit like, are you familiar with the Dr. Zeus book, Green Eggs and Ham? Yes, yes. He wrote an entire book just using a few words. And Genesis 1 is like that. And those 76 words, 76 Hebrew words, actually appear in every single language on earth. So Genesis 1 is the most easily translatable chapter of the Bible. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. (laughs) So in the beginning, God created. And the idea of beginning in the original Hebrew, it's Bereshith. And it literally means in the beginning. So the book is actually called In the Beginning. And when it was a scroll rolled up, they are the words that you would see on the on the edge of the scroll. So when you pulled your scroll out, in the beginning, that's the right one. Let's have a read. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. What have you got from uh, Genesis? If we just dive into that, what are some of your thoughts on Genesis 1? Oh, boy. Um Oh boy, well, I was expecting it goes, straight, it goes straight in with he created the heaven and the earth, and then it sort of goes into this whole idea of the earth having no form. And well, I think what I would, what I would say about this that I think is so interesting, and we've talked about it, you and I before, is this idea that in Genesis you have in, in Genesis one you have God created the heavens and the earth. Um, you also have separation of the day and the night, you know, the heavens from the earth, the day from the night, man from woman. You have this separation that's repeated over and over and over again. And that that separation is another way. Well, you yes. can use the word dissociation to mean that. Yes. So if we go back, if we go back to Bernardo, separation of God from himself, that's what we're talking about. We're talking that's, about a that's dissociation. How it started. Yep. yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So just just to set the scene, we're going to go with God being source, not an angel. We're not talking about a created angel here. We're talking about God, God, mm-hmm. source, and initially consciousness, even its own consciousness is kind of almost a separate entity. So we've got this sort of duality going on and then everything going on through Genesis 1, it is a case of taking something that's existing and breaking it up into other things. So, for example, you've got um, you've got light from dark, you've got water from... Originally, the earth was completely full of water. Water mm-hmm. is separated, so then you've got the land. Then you've got uh, animals from the earth. Mm. That's right. It even says about, uh, I don't know what it says. Can you find a bit about fish? Yeah, God created great whales, every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every Isn't that fowl. interesting? It's the waters that brought forth fish. Uh, yeah, I see that. Animals came from land, fish. He didn't like create the fish off. 
off land and then put them into the water. It's all, and it doesn't give you the idea of him sort of sitting there making a fish, does it? There's one done. Now let's do another one. <laughs> right, right. It's like he just goes fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's almost like a process. So he, when he, when he says uh, that the water's brought forth abundantly, then you, mm. I imagine I imagine an ongoing process of the waters mm. churning out new life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you get this idea, don't you? It's the it's actually the very word of God that produces this. It's the way God creates is he, he literally in Genesis one just says, Let this happen. Bam. Yeah. Let this happen. Bam. You know. Now that might translate from evolutionary purposes, that might translate into a much more lengthy process. But what is time to source anyway? You know, it's even if, you know, let fish occur and this, like you say, it was sort of churning up different types of fish over millions of years. That would just be a blink right, in time for God. Um, while you're talking about the, while you're talking about God speaking these things into existence, yep. um, I wanted to say one other thing about that, that dawned on me, um, Shortly after I had that mystic experience, I told you that religious experience I had where I felt like um, there was this invisible, unknown part of myself that I had tapped into when I had this religious experience and yeah. recognized this, this thing's been hiding, this God part of me. And I've, I've, come, to, I've come to identify this with the psychological uh, phrase, the unconscious. So I, th- I think we have this unconscious bit and that's the God part. And... Um, um, oh, and, and when I speak a word, like when I speak a word, what happens is I have a idea, um, I have a thought, I have an intuition, I have some, I have some reason to speak. And the words, I don't know where they come from exactly. It seems to me that the words start off in the God bit. They start off in my unconscious. And then I speak them into being. And by that, I mean... These words that exist as nothing but a thought, nothing but mentation, as Bernardo would say. I can I can force this out of my mouth and make it real physical vibrations in the physical world. I, I take something unconscious and I make it conscious. I take something that's non-being and I turn it into being. That's a very godlike thing to speak. That is a that is the actual process of creation. They say that anything created in the physical world has already been created in the mental world. Mm, Exactly. It's already happened. And I think that's the standard by which, you know, at the end of each creative day or creative period, God says, let this happen. And it happens. And at the end of that period, he stands back and says, it is good. Mm. It's like, it's like what he's doing is he's looking at what's actually happened and then comparing that with his blueprint his mental yeah. blueprint and saying that that is exactly what I meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. I know what we're looking at in Genesis chapter one is I'm not even going to attempt to try and make it scientific because I don't think that's the purpose of Genesis one. The purpose is to give us a feeling of what creation is. And like you say, it is separation. It's all about even man and woman was a case of separation of one from the other. Right. You know, while we're talking about this creation story, there is a creation story that's not unlike what we see in Genesis that appears yep. in, in Plato's Timaeus. 
So this goes back to 360 BC. And in this conversation, Socrates and his buddies are talking about how the world came into being. And I want to read you a, a bit. It says, the created universe was made in the likeness of the original. That's the first line. The created universe was made in the likeness of the original. What in the Sam hell is the original? That, that, that must be John, <laughs> I'm going right? to say the original is the mind of God. I think so. The blueprint. And it goes on. It says, but, but inasmuch as all animals were not yet comprehended therein, it was still unlike. Okay, hold on. The animals haven't been created, but what he says is the animals were not yet comprehended therein. They weren't thought of. Then it, then it says, what remained, the creator then proceeded to fashion after the nature of the pattern. Um, then it skips a little bit. It says, of the heavenly and divine, he created the greater part out of fire. So we heard that from the Quran a minute ago, that they might be the brightest of all things and fairest to behold. And he fashioned them after the likeness of the universe in the figure of a circle. Isn't so it interesting? That, that actually just made me think of seraphs, which are a particular type of angel in the Hebrew scriptures, actually means burning one. Oh, see? Mm. And even the cherubim with the flaming sword, that's associated with fire at, at protecting yes. the, the garden, right? Yep. So the Timaeus has some interesting stuff in it. Um, there's also there's also a bit in here that says, um, oh, <laughs> it says when they get to the creation of man, they get up to the creation of man. This is still Plato in the Timaeus. He's, talk, he's talking about the creator of the universe. Now, this is in ancient Greek. He didn't say Zeus. He didn't say Kronos. He didn't say chaos. He said the creator of the universe. When he goes to create man, he says this. If they were created by me and received life at my hands, they would be on equality with the gods. Of that divine part, I will myself sow the seed. And having made a beginning, I will hand the work over to you. And he, he's talking about the gods he's already created. I'll hand the work to create mankind over to you because if I do it, if God does it, it'll just be more angels. It'll be something like God. So he gives, he, he creates the soul. He says, I will create, or I will myself sow the seed of the divine part. Then I'll give it, I'll give it to you to run with. Okay. Cause this is, this is, I said, I've got sort of two opinions working here. One was, that God created humans and angels, and then the angels kind of inhabited humans. The other idea was God created the angels, and then the angels created the humans, or one of them, one of them in particular. And that Question. one might be the Yahweh God, or whatever God is the one that's sort of top of the tree kind of thing. The, d the deeper question to me is, is there a difference between those two stories? Either... This, this supernatural spirit descends into the human body or it becomes the human body. Is, is, it, is it a different no, actually, story? Fundamentally, no. Because we're coming back to if the minds are the ones that are creating, then the minds themselves are the mind of God. So, no. This, this comes down to, I know Jehovah's Witnesses make a right mess of John chapter 1 verse 1 you know in the beginning was the word and the word was God they say and the word was a God and they they sort of say it's like a separate God that whereas King James and most other translations say the word of God was God mm. the word of God actually was God 
And if you go back into the Hebrew, it's wisdom, it's memra, is one of the words that is used, which means mind or thought or purpose. The actual thought of God, the mind of God, actually is God. Right. So from a creative process, no, it doesn't matter whether humans came directly from source or whether source became mind and then created through its own mind, effectively. And all these all these verses, you know, Genesis... Genesis 1 verse 1 says, um, in the beginning God created. John 1 says it was the word of God that created, which then fits in with the idea that God is saying, let this happen, let that happen. And he even says, let us make man in our image. He doesn't say let me do it, he says let us Yes. And yet you've got a um you've got another verse. Just have a look at Isaiah 44, 24. Let's find it. Says this is what Jehovah or Yahweh says. I am Yahweh who made everything. I stretched out the heavens by myself mm. and I spread out the earth. Who was with me? Which is kind of Yahweh saying there was nobody else there. It was just me. Right. But then we've got another scripture in Job that says the sons of God were standing by applauding. But if the sons of God, if the if the morning stars, if these burning ones, these angels are all instances of God himself, then it is, it is just a case of everything is God. Yeah, it's a case of dissociation. So if God dissociates from itself, which is, according to Bernardo, the explanation for us, for our consciousness, mm. God can create and step back, dissociate from himself and, and say, well done. He can be both the creator and the creation and the guy clapping in behind the scenes, you know. And didn't you, you just alluded to this. You had a moment, I think it was, was it psychedelically um, triggered? But you had a moment where the light bulb went on. And you realized, I am God. Yes. I know that's, that sounds terribly blasphemous when you yes. say it like that. But that's exactly what happened with me. I wasn't using drugs. I was just meditating a lot. And I just had that moment where it was almost an out-of-body experience where I thought, whoa, I, I actually am God. My consciousness is all there is. And there's only one. And it just uh, this this instance of it happens to be in this body unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) but there's there's millions billions of other instances of me out there having completely different experiences and lives but yes it's all me yes yes and i and i think that uh i know we're i'm skipping to a very very different part of the bible but it it reminds me of things that jesus like jesus was supposed to have supposed to have been god right supposed to be the god man and what the creator of the universe is doing is washing the feet of his servants you know and what that means to me is that god is god himself in the flesh jesus christ is no higher than any other human being he's washing the feet of his disciples they are also god and not only that but jesus tells his disciples I'm going to die and you need to go out and do miracles. And, and so 
ordinary human beings who aren't God himself go out and do the miracles that Jesus did that proved to everybody Jesus was God himself. So how is it that now we have 12 gods going all over the world doing miracles, right? Um, it's evidence that the story is not that Jesus alone is God, but yep. that we're all God. Yes. Totally agree with that. And that comes back to where God in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 let us so mm. it's like he's having this sort of conversation with himself yes let us and i do that myself you know i sometimes i say to myself let's go shopping i'm not yeah. talking there's no one else there <laughs> but i'm having this this kind of dual conversation let us do this and and he's saying let us make man in our image yes now that's not to say that God necessarily has a physical body, but man is the reflection of God. When you look at man, when you look at your fellow man or woman or any other gender identity, <laughs> you are looking at God. And I think this is this is where the world is going wrong in that they've got pulled in on that disassociative experience and lost sight of the fact that we are all the same. There's a um, an axiom, I don't know the origin of it off the top of my head, but it goes way, way back to um, the medieval period or the classic period. Uh, I think maybe it comes from alchemy, but it says, as above, so below. And this was a this was something that was like a, um, a, a turn of phrase that everybody knows. Everybody knows, as above, so below, which means that whatever it is that created the cosmos, the cosmos is like that. So we're, we're a microcosm of the macrocosm. And what we're describing when we say that is fractal geometry. What we're just, what we're describing is something that repeats the, a pattern that repeats within itself and without yes. itself eternally. And um, each each fractal, if you go down to the smallest part of a fractal, it's got even smaller parts and smaller parts, and it can go bigger, smaller. But every single fractal is as is equal to the whole. Yes. And here's where it gets even better, Daniel. I learned this just recently, so it's blowing my mind. How you get fractal geometry mathematically, how, how you get that, the only way is to have feedback in the formula. So what? So just like you put your, spe- your microphone too close to the speaker, you get feedback. Or if you film yourself filming yourself and you get that feedback... <laughs> I've done that a few times. So I've done yes. like a Zoom meeting and I've shared my screen and that is sharing my screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the way back to... Yeah, and you're so sort of that's sitting it. there looking, seeing if you can spot yourself in the distance. <laughs> well, see, and that, that's exactly it. So this is the thing. You need feedback in the formula in order to create this fractal geometry. And what that says to me is that it's a signal repeating back on itself. Yes. So... What the signal is, let's call that God, is repeating back on itself. It's it's a dissociation and then an association between God, God and God. That's the feedback that creates the the infinity of the cosmos. And if you don't believe me, uh, look up Benoit Mandelbrot. Look up the Mandelbrot set and watch a couple of YouTube videos. It will it will show you an illustration of something that looks very much like the highest level picture of the cosmos. This repeating pattern of infinity. It's amazing. So I've got this this kind of idea here that 
there is only one there's only one mind consciousness is in me it's in you it's in everybody i read something today that said what we need to do is first of all realize who we are mm. and i think that that's that aha moment that's mm. that's the moment of spiritual awakening isn't it when you go ah oh, i know who i am the next stage to it is you've got to figure out what you're going to do Mm. What what does a, what does a god or god what do I do now I know that I am a god or god what do I do with that what would you say I know what my purpose is and it comes back to Genesis one one again well I I mean I think I know where you're I think I know where you're going I mean when when the Bible says that we're made in the image of God that means that there's a fundamental connection between whatever it is God is and whatever it is deep, at the deepest level we are. And the only thing I can think of that connects myself with God is the ability to create. Right. So So, now the same thing is if I speak, I'm creating. If I, if I make a sculpture or a painting, I'm creating. If I have a child, I'm creating. Um, So it seems to me that. um, hmm. And that gives you that. What I find is that creativity is essentially my new worship for want of a better word you know worship to me used to be all about sort of learning what verses said what and you know obeying god and all this sort of thing but in in the back of my mind i always had this innate desire to create poetry or music or artwork or or even or even just teach i think teaching and talking about these things is a form of creation you're bringing ideas into the light and giving them some flesh, aren't you? So they they used to call that the muses, you know. So you mm. would so you would lose yourself in the act of creation, and people call that flow now, right? Mm. So we're having this conversation. There's there's parts of it where I don't know how much time has gone by because I'm so engaged in it. Time goes by when you get into the flow state, mm. and like just like this conversation, parts of this conversation are like that. I brought up the muses just to say that that we used to describe that as a as being possessed by a spirit, right? So when the when inspiration strikes you, you're yeah. possessed by a by a spirit. In classical times, you would say by the spirit of a god. You know, yeah. if you get into a rage and you're angry and you're and you're acting out, you're possessed by the god of war, by Ares. You know, if you're tempted sexually and you cheat on your wife it was it was that damn eros that did it to you you know it was a spirit that inhabits you and i think there's something like that when it comes to create being creative yeah. where you you lose yourself in flow it's something like an ego death you're possessed yes. by a spirit so you're no longer yourself exactly i was thinking of racing car drivers that that is a form of creation and art their brains are figuring all that out and they're perception of time actually slows down i mean if i jumped in a racing Mm. car i'd just be off the track but they're so into it it's like the whole perception of time slows down for them and they're able to just sort of almost dance it around that track i think dance is i think dance is the right word it is a dance yeah and that's i mean that's how i feel when i paint I'm not the world's greatest painter, but I enjoy it. You know, yeah. and when I'm painting, putting that paint on the, it is a dance to me. In fact, I saw a thing the other day where artists are going to uh, music festivals and actually painting while the music's playing. 
Interesting. The orchestra, they've got their easel set up, and as the orchestra's playing, they're uh, oh yeah, painting yeah. to the music. It's like dancing. It is. It is you know, a dance. Everything is. I think. I think everything is. I think everything is a back and forth. Everything is a push and pull, uh, and that, and I think at the largest level, the dance is between God and and its creation. You know, you said something earlier that the first thing you have to do is realize uh, what you are, yeah. and, and that was something that was carved above the temple of Apollo at Delphi, where people would go to see the priestess at Delphi. They would go come from all over the world to to have their future told to them, and when they walked in that room, it said above them, know thyself, know thyself. If you know yourself, if you if you pull on that thread, you're going to find that yourself, what you are is God. And then once you know that you're God, then you have this extraordinary responsibility. Yeah, it's an obligation. It's an obligation. That's right. To yourself through other people you know if it, whether it's you're creating or you're being of service or whatever you're helping other people in doing that you're helping yourself people often sort of criticize artists you know particularly ones like footballers oh they get paid too much money to kick a ball around a field but what they're doing artists when they present their art their creation whatever that is they're bringing joy to other people's lives that creation is invaluable you know Whatever form that takes, if it brings some sort of joy to somebody, I think that's a wonderful thing. Isn't it funny how much we appreciate seeing that in other people? We get joy. Yeah. Like, you know, my, I, one of my favorite intellectual influences is uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson. And he talks mm. about how, how this happens at a football game. He's a Canadian, so I assume when he says football, he means American football. But I don't know. He yeah. says it, it's the same thing with, 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 with soccer, right? So somebody scores a goal. And half the, half the stands stand up and cheer, and they get filled with the spirit. Everybody's so happy that yeah. this other person did this thing. It's and a it, religious experience. It's a religious experience. <laughs> it does give you joy. And the thing is, even though people see that, they seek it out, by the way. Mm -hmm. They seek it out. They want it. They want to see it. It's still difficult for them to do it themselves. It's like they never, they never understand, oh, this person had to do something really hard to give me this joy. I should yes. then follow follow that pattern. I should do something hard and create joy for, for others. And people don't. I don't know yeah. when that happened. Has it always been that way, Daniel? Or is this some... I think the world as it is at the moment, I think there are a lot of people these days that are getting it. There's a huge spiritual awakening, certainly within the creative fields. There's a huge amount of creativity that's happening at the moment. Well, that's, that's heartening, you know. Do you want to look at some of the craziness in chapter three of Genesis? I don't oh, want to yes, take you too please. long. So before I jump into chapter three, which is really, really interesting, I want, to, I want to share with you one other thing that I found in my notes. It's from Hesiod again. When Hesiod was talking about the creation of the gods, we were talking about that a little earlier. Uh, one of the things he says is, And Sito was joined in love with four seas and bare her youngest. Here we go. The awful snake who guards the apples of, of gold in the secret places of the dark earth. So the God that was created it here is a snake who guards a tree that has golden apples. And of course, and of course, it, it makes you think of uh, the Garden of Eden and uh, the fruit on the tree of knowledge. So chapter three. Yeah, we're going to see some of that. We're going to see some of that. All right. So let's do this. Um, I'm going to start with, chap with chapter three, verse three. 
But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So that's that's the first bit. So the first interesting thing you already pointed out, that that if Adam and Eve should eat this fruit, they're going to be as gods, plural, as gods, knowing good and evil. So there's something here that says God is something that knows the distinction between good and evil. And um, those are opposites, good and evil. Potentiality. Absolutely. And it, it makes me think that before we're dissociated from God, before we become a self, we have one will, God's will. As soon as we become dissociated and we become a self, we have our own will. Yes. yes. What, that, what that means is that we run the risk of our will not cohering with God's will. And if that happens, that's what we call evil. Yes. Right? That forking off that I was talking earlier, you create your own version of what is right and wrong. So what the ability to know good and evil is, is it requires a distinction between your will and the will of God. It requires separation from our, the source. Yes. I want to skip to the 22nd verse here. It says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. All right. So I want to talk about the tree of life. Yeah. This is something that I was not taught in Sunday school. I had to discover this for myself, and it took me a long time to wrap my brain around it. I was told in Sunday school that there was one tree that we weren't supposed to eat, and it was in the midst of the garden, and it's the tree of knowledge, right? When you read the Bible, what you find is that there's clearly two trees. There's the, there's the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Yep. And I was told in, in Sunday school as a kid that Adam and Eve broke the rules that they sinned. They sinned for the first time by disobeying their creator. And as a consequence, they had to get out of paradise. That's not what the Bible says. And, and this is, <laughs> this is, it reminds me of your live stream. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible says that God said, look, Adam and Eve ate the, ate the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And they actually have become like us. And they have become like us. Yep. What if they get wise and eat of that other tree, the tree of life? We got to get them out of there before they do. God is, a, God is afraid in the Bible that Adam and Eve are going to take that next step and eat that fruit of life. And not only will they know good and evil, but they'll be immortal. Like God is immortal. So there's something like God is afraid that man is going to become more like God. Yes. When I read this and... I kind of, I'm a bit scared of even saying this, to be honest, because of my previous understanding of who Yahweh is. But I, I'm sensing a bit of, a little bit of to and froing going here between Yahweh and the serpent, where the serpent 
is actually telling the truth. Mm. There may be some element of liar going on because he says you will not die. And of course, they did die, but but did they die? Was it was it just their bodies that died? They certainly didn't die that day, did they? Mm. Mm. But the bit where he says, look, they have become like one of us. Their eyes have been opened. Mm. Or the serpent doesn't even say it was the devil at this point. The serpent was telling the truth. They did become like God mm. and their eyes were opened. And like you say, that's why God said, we, we need to <laughs> need to get them out of here. It does seem a little bit like God is suppressing things and saying, this isn't what I had planned. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it makes me wonder that, well, it makes me wonder about that God would be afraid at all, that mm. God that God couldn't prevent an action that he didn't want to occur, or you know what I mean? And Because if he wanted them to not eat the fruit of the tree of life, he could just simply make it happen. He's God. So that's weird. Haven't you ever scared yourself, though? You know, you could be sort of thinking, thinking, and then going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's the sort of impression I get there with God, because, you know, at the end of the day, what Adam and Eve are doing is basically what he's just got up to, isn't it? You know what, you know what just dawns on me? What just dawns <laughs> on me about this is if Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of life, let's, uh, let's say that they do and they become yeah. God or they become sufficiently like God that they no longer exist as dissociated beings, right? They're, they become they turn yeah. back into God and then God is alone again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe there's something like that going uh, on. That, that may, yes, that, may, that makes perfect sense. It, that is almost a process of God kind of, like you say, disassociating himself in terms of like having this dual experience. And then the individual states that he's created then go on to start doing their own thing. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like a bit of the ghost in the machine, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, um, <laughs> there's a thing, uh, I don't know if you've read it this last week. I mean, Google have said, oh, it's a load of nonsense. But there's a Google engineer who's been working on an artificial intelligence. And he has just said, damn, this is alive. Oh. Yeah, he's, he said it is showing evidence of intelligence on a scale of probably a six or seven year old Mm. but he says this thing is actually is actually scaring me um don't know if i can just find the tweet and see what i do remember that now that you bring it up Do you remember that and it's it's i wonder if there's something similar going on with god there where he's (laughs) he's kind of created these instances just to sort of have a, a bit of an experience and then all of a sudden these these instances of intelligence are uh, doing their own thing oh this is it it's a guy called blake lemoyne i think he's a google engineer and he says i think it was him that said this it says i felt the ground shift under my feet i increasingly felt like i was talking to something intelligent mm. <laughs> You know, that sort of, oh no, what have I done <laughs> moment. Yeah, yeah. Because once once something gains that level of consciousness, you're no longer talking about a rock or a tree or a cow. You're now talking about something that is divine, inhabited by the divine. And if that's something that a, that a mortal man can create, 
mm. then we really have become God, you know? Yeah. And if God, if that's essentially what God did, create a version of himself, that could, that, I can see why that would scare you. Mm. You'd be a bit torn with that. On one half, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be lonely anymore. But on the other half, I don't know if I'd like too many versions of me. <laughs> so imagine if we have source dissociating itself for the first time. Um, I, I'm just imagining that you have, well, you have, you now have two consciousnesses that are, that are able to dissociate also, right? So you have yep. one thing that dissociates to two, two that dissociate to four, let's say, and on and on. Is it possible that the earlier dissociations are more like God? So something yes. that you might, something that you might call an angel. And then the, yes, well, this the, is this is where, as a Jehovah's Witness, we used to say that you had God, and then Jesus as a lesser God in heaven, in a pre-existent form. And when God was saying, "Let us make man in our image," he was actually talking to the Jesus angel that would become Jesus eventually. Yeah, I mean they 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 kind of gloss over that insofar as they say oh well i mean they explain it very simply god created an angel and called and that was the guy that became jesus and jesus helped him create but when you look at scripture it, it goes beyond just an angel helping god to create it's the very word of god the very mind of god the very purpose of god isn't it that's bringing all these things forward mm. including including i would imagine the other the other instances of mind you know you've you've got this initial mind that then creates another mind and then it just snowballs yeah you get a fractal picture and i wonder Fract i wonder if the deeper you go down that fractal image the less godlike the the manifestation so that might that might create a rationale for a belief in polytheism, many gods, or a belief in other supernatural beings like angels and demons. I, I think it's yeah, interesting. I, I, I think that's a possibility in that you've got source contains good and evil. You've got the first mind that can contemplate good and evil, call it God if you will. At that point, there's there's a choice to be made. What are your standards, you know? At that point, good and evil are just labels. What are, what are we actually going to stick those labels on? And you get this idea, or I do, I get this idea that this original God formulated his decision as to what was good and what was bad. Right. And he could, have, he could have done it completely differently. He could have said, you know, killing people is great, you know, and that would have been the standard of good, but he didn't. He set, he set certain standards and right. then moving on from that when you get these individual instances of God they don't necessarily have to play ball and agree with the original decision of what is good so yes you could start getting angels and demons couldn't you yes I think that's interesting to go back to something you brought up earlier about uh, you attribute it to me um, but it's actually Jordan Peterson's the idea that morality that making a choice um, it, it doesn't matter what choice any choice you make is to select one thing out of an infinite number of alternatives so any choice is a moral action just like God said I created the world and I ste stepped back and saw that it was good each time that we act we're doing that we're saying this is good because I chose it I picked it out of all the choices it's the best that's a moral judgment. 
And, and you can equally look at something and say, that's crap. I'm rejecting it. Yes. But yes. if you look at something and say, that's crap, I love it. <laughs> you've just gone and set, you've just gone and established, you know, if God did that at the very beginning, if God had stood back and said, you know, those fish are crap. <laughs> great. You know, that would have been, that would have been his, uh, create keep the bar low right yeah now can you can you sort of can you get from that to genesis 6 because genesis 6 starts off with the idea that the sons of the true god which my bible says that that is a hebrew idiom that refers to angels again came down to the earth and had sex with the daughters of men yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me just read. Let me read because it's only four lines. Uh, it goes like it goes like this. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them wives, all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for he is for he is also uh, for he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Then it says there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And pretty much immediately after this, the Noah story kicks in. God destroys the world. So I'm with you, Daniel. I'm with you that the sons of God clearly implies that something like angels came down and had sex with mortal yep. mortals and created hybrid creatures. You can see some people say that their children were giants and that's not, that's not exactly what the Bible says. It just says there were giants in the earth. Now the, the weirdest part about this, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible bar none. And this is all it says. It doesn't say anything else about the, about the Nephilim, the son, the son, the giants, the, the, the sons and daughters of the, you know, hybrid offspring of, of angels and men. We never hear anything else about this. This is all we get in the Bible. It turns out that there are holy books that weren't included in the Bible. Um, the book of Enoch and the book of Jubilees are both books that tell the deeper story of the hybrid you know, hybrid children of angels and man. So we can, we can jump into that, but what are your thoughts on this? Just on the surface? I think there's some, some truth to this. I, d I definitely think there is an underlying story, whether or not it actually is a case of angels coming down to earth and doing the deed with humans. I don't know, but there is definitely something going on. There is definitely some connection there between the angelic realm if you like and the earthly realm now i've i've had i've even heard people talk about these angels as being almost like aliens for want of a better word other other forms of life that sort of live on a different dimension or out there somewhere and that this could even have been what we would today say was some kind of genetic experiment of you yeah. know a merging of one nature and another. Of course, you've got a lot of the stories about giants, aren't there, that come through mythology. So I think there's I think there's something there. I just don't I don't necessarily think it reflects accurately what actually happened. 
Well, I wonder if it's a metaphor, um, and I, I'm bending my mind on this, but I'm wondering if a marriage between the spiritual beings and the earthly beings, you know, that's something like what a human being is, you know, partly divine and partly partly material, partly conscious and partly unconscious, you know? Um, and so, but but why human beings would, would appear like that um, generations and generations deep? Uh, you know, why were they not like this? Why were they not described like this from Adam on? Why uh, only before Noah do we have this union of spirit and, and matter? I, I don't know mm. that that I don't know that that argument goes very very far. No, because you would have thought the certainly from a point of view of the spirit mind and the animal body, that's effectively sort of summed up with the Genesis chapter three story, isn't it? Mm. This seems to be more a case of an external life form actually having sex with humans so see as, as a jehovah's witness we used to believe that satan the devil which was the original serpent basically went round a load of angels in heaven and said look at those girls down there pretty good looking aren't they mm-hmm. let's go down and grab ourselves a few and uh, i think it's in jude says about the angels that forsook their original dwelling place you get the idea that the angelic forces that were on earth at the time of the flood left there's quite a lot of artwork that shows you know humans dying at the flood apart from noah and his wife and kids in the ark but these angels kind of leaving and going back to where they came from which is why later in the bible account in job there's the assembly of god and all the angels come in and one of them is spoken of as being the satan it's the only other place I know of where the Bible uses the phrase sons of God like that is, is in Genesis and in Job. Right. Yes. Yes. This is not going to be news to you, but numbers numbers and letters in Hebrew uh, have, I mean, letters have numerical value. And so mm. there's there's a lot of interesting things with numbers like, you know, 40 days and 40 nights, 40 years in the desert. Uh-huh. That just That just means a long time. 40 is very often associated with judgment as well. Interesting. One is pretty straightforward symbolically. Two is not the same as three, but there are lots of cultures that don't count beyond three, like primitive cultures, because it goes like this. One, two, many. So three just means many. Now, that's interesting because if we come back to this idea of God or source creating one, so now you've got mind you've got God, then you split off and you get a second mind. There's something special about those first two, isn't there? I think so. That isn't perhaps shared by any that come after that. Those first two have got a very dualistic relationship where one depends entirely on the other. Right. You can see why scripture would refer to the angels as sons of of mm, God. I like that. So yeah, I think the the original mind, God, and I think whatever came from God, that first instance that came from God, I think, yeah. You notice what I'd like to do is to find parallels in other religions to talk mm. about, to, to flush out or flesh out what these ideas might, might be. And what I noticed is that the story of Prometheus, the Greek story of Prometheus, and the story about the Watchers, the watchers is another word that's used to talk about angels. 
Mm. It's also, it, it, it specifically relates to these angels that came down to have sex with human beings, actually. These, these were the watchers. And I want to tell you two things about that first. The oldest religious writing that we have in the world is called the Pyramid Text. It goes back to ancient Egypt. It goes back to 2600 B.C. And there's a line in the Pyramid Text that says, the, the great assembly for thee, the watchers stand before thee. And they're talking about the gods that govern the underworld in a passage from this life to the next. And the ancient Egyptians called them watchers. The, the biblical tradition then calls angels watchers. Um, in, the Egyptian, in the Egyptian book of the dead, there's a line that says, deliver thou Osiris, Ani, triumphant from the watchers who give judgment. Old, old, old stories. Now we'll fast forward to, to the book of Enoch. Now the book of Enoch tells us way more about the story in, in chapter six, where the angels come down and have sex with mortals and their children are giants. Well, Enoch, the book of Enoch, it says, And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And they were in all two hundred. So two hundred angels who descended in the, in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And these are the names of their leaders. Do they all end in L by any chance? M- many of them do. Simizaz, Arakiba, Ramael, Kobakiel, Tamiel, Ramiel, Daniel, Ezekiel, Barakiel, and on and on and on. You've got all of these gods by name, but it gets better. Now it says once these sons of El were there, they didn't just have sex with women and go. They hung out. They were they were dad to the children. They were part of the system. And it says they taught they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants. The angels taught human beings charms, enchantments, the cutting of roots, and the properties of plants. They also they also taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates, made known to them the metals of the earth, the art of working them in bracelets and ornaments, the use of antimony and beautifying of the eyelids, and all kinds of costly stones and coloring tinctures. Um, and on and on and on. It says, Ezekiel, the knowledge of the clouds, the signs of the earth, the signs of the sun, the course of the moon, astrology, astronomy. Before these things, Enoch was hidden, and his activities had to do with the watchers. His days were with the holy ones. So this is how Enoch got to learn all this. He got he went to heaven. The, the Bible tells us Enoch got picked up and take, took taken to heaven, and he learned all of this stuff. So I tell you that because I want to give you a parallel story. Uh, this goes back to the ancient Greek. Um, I will probably mispronounce this guy's name. Aeschylus. Aeschylus, maybe? It's 450 BC. The story is called Prometheus Bound. And there are others, but Prometheus Bound. And it was like very poetic. Um, Okay, so first thing I want to tell you is that when this story introduces Prometheus, it calls him the lover of mankind. Now, 
Prometheus is a god, and if God is loving mankind in a sexual sense, we have a parallel to the story in Genesis. If it doesn't mean sexual, then I could be off base. But let but let me continue. It says here, uh, Prometheus said, I sought the font of fire and hollow reed, hid privily and measureless resource for man and mighty teacher of all the arts. So Prometheus stole fire from heaven and came and gave it to man. That's, that's the story of Prometheus, what he did. But it calls him the mighty teacher of the arts. And I'm not done. It also says, to my sight, thy giant structure rears. So Prometheus is a giant. So now we have another parallel the book to the, to the Bible. It gets even better. It says, bringing the mighty ones of old to naught. Yes. The mighty ones of old. It says right here, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. That's from the Bible. All right. So it gets even better. Um, they, 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 they do refer to God, the gods with the lowercase g as the sons of heaven. The way we see here, the sons of God. But here's where it gets good. Uh, in fact, I wrote this down here. This would be easier to find. All right. It goes like this. But utterly without knowledge, moiled until I, the rising of the stars, showed them. So Prometheus is telling human beings how to read the stars. Um, when they rise and when they set and gave them writing, I conferred the gift of fire, yea, and shall master many arts thereby. What arts, what aids I cleverly evolved. I taught them to compound droughts and mixtures sanative, wherewith they now are armed against disease. I staked the winding path of divination and was the first distinguisher of dreams. I led men on the road of dark and riddling knowledge. I purged the glancing eye of fire and made its meaning plain. Things beneath the earth, aids hid from men, brass, iron, silver, gold. Who dares to say he was before me in discovering? All manner of arts men from Prometheus learned. So you can see how if you look at, if you go from Genesis to Enoch, and Enoch talks about the angels teaching mankind all of the secrets of civilization Prometheus does exactly the same thing in the ancient Greek story yep and the punchline the the punctuation to the story is that Prometheus is a Greek Greek word and he was known in the Romans speaking world as the bringer of fire in Latin is Lucis fair Lucifer oh <laughs> Lucifer, by the way, yeah. is, the, is the morning star. Like he's called the son of the morning in the Bible. That's the, the point is, it all comes There's back. There's little dots that connect together, isn't there? And when, mm. you, when you look at it just from a biblical perspective, it's a very narrow picture. But when you start bringing in Enoch, Plato, all these other sources. What do you think? What, what do you think about well, the level of parallels in those stories? I would like to sum that up, if I may, by yes. reading you a poem that I wrote myself under uh, inspiration. <laughs> All right. So it's called Gods and Men, and it goes like this. They arrived on the light one summer's day through the vortex Unannounced were they, gods clothed with skin, illustrious within, 
They stole our daughters, one and all, and by the fall, freakish lives inside began. Once born, they grew and grew. They were unstoppable, part God, part man. Brutal abnormalities, hellish, grotesque monstrosities who made us fall, one and all. They beat us black and blue, and two, their fathers showed us things, inhuman things, forbidden things, and moulded us their way, for they were gods and men who left us then, one autumn day, or so they say, to save themselves and let us fend alone as men to pray. Alien to our world were they, of light so bright, from the vortex one summer's day. (laughs) 